Asymmetrical Haircuts, Justice Update, with Janet Anderson and Stephanie van den Berg. All rise. Hi, Steph. Hi, Janet. Goodness, there's plenty going on in our international justice world, isn't there, despite the lack of actual hearings? Yeah, yesterday evening I got called out of my mom duties for uh, having to explain the Gbagbo decision of the ICC, which people are are puzzling over because they um, the ICC agreed that he should be a little more unprovisionally released, but not entirely. So they lifted some of the restrictions, but it's it's going to be a complication to figure out what it actually means. For the moment, I think we can say he can leave Belgium without the permission of the ICC, but where he would actually go and who would actually want to have him is all a big question. Well, he's one of those ones who's uh, got away so far, but we've still got prisoners to deal with. Um, of course, we've got the big arrest that we've had of Lysian Kabuga, who's uh, wanted for genocide, um, and he's in France. And the residual mechanism for the International Criminal Tribunals, what a mouthful, as we have previously said, known as the mechanism, is the um, successor organisation to the ICTR, the Rwanda Tribunal. They asked for him to be transferred to The Hague rather than Arusha, where the trial would be potentially held because of COVID-19 problems with, with transporting people around the world. Yeah, but then on Wednesday, all of a sudden, we had a decision where a mechanism judge said, no, I'm not going to agree to send him to The Hague for now because you haven't shown that he really needs to be. And anyway, cases in Paris take three to eight months to decide to transfer him. And once we get there, we'll take another look and maybe then we can decide to go to The Hague. So it's it's still not clear. But uh, we've been considering this issue of prisons, um, prison world for quite a while. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we actually managed to record an interview with Sabrina Matani. She's a human rights lawyer from Zambia and the United Kingdom. She co-founded an NGO, AdvocAid, which works with women in the international criminal justice system in Sierra Leone, um, legal aid to over 4,000 women. And she's worked at the Sierra Leone Special Court and the Rwanda tri- Tribunal. We we wanted to ask her some stuff about prisons. Yeah, and just a heads up, the Zoom connection wasn't perfect, so we edited out uh, to get the best bits. And we asked her first for a review of what is happening now to international justice prisoners. The International Residual Mechanism for International Tribunals recently uh, denied Lawrence Hans's permission for early release, despite COVID fears based in, uh, in his detention in Benin. But they did all monitoring of the, the detention conditions. But we have seen uh, in early April in Senegal, Hissan Habre, the former Chadian president, was given two months leave from prison as the prison he is detained in is being used to hold new detainees in coronavirus quarantine. And so this decision was based on his age, he's in his late 70s, and also his health, which would make him vulnerable. So he'll be held under house arrest and then return to prison. So it's been sort of a, a mix, really, but I think it, been, it depends on the kind of detention conditions where someone is placed. But a positive decision on the 4th of May was the residual mechanism did order the registrar to institute video communications for detainees, such as for you know, Radovan Karadic by the 14th of May, because as family visits ended as a coronavirus uh, prevention mechanism, it's very difficult for detainees to speak to their families and that family contact is important. So we're seeing like a mixture of responses really. 
As she mentions there, Radovan Karadzic uh, had his Skype access agreed. But actually, I was chatting to Peter Robinson, his lawyer, earlier this week, and he told me that they were still waiting to see whether he could uh, he could get access to Skype. But I think I saw that it's now granted. Yes, I saw a tweet from Robinson that he now could Skype. So uh, I wonder how that will be. It seems pretty essential that they can still communicate. uh, But lawyers are also complaining that they want to see them face to face. And so we also asked Sabrina about how prisoner conditions worldwide are during this COVID-19 pandemic. Prisoners are an extremely vulnerable population. There's about 11 million prisoners worldwide estimated in the recent Penal Reform International Report. But, you know, at least 124 prisons um, exceed their maximum occupancy rates. Um, And I visited prisons from, you know, Ghana to Cambodia. And this is definitely something that I see in many prisons overcrowding. And it particularly impacts poor poor countries. So Haiti um, has an occupancy rate of 450%. And we're being told, you know, the ways that we can protect ourselves from COVID is to self-isolate and to maintain good hygiene standards. And this is extremely difficult in most prisons where you have such high rates of overcrowding. Many prisons have very poor access to healthcare. One prison I visited in West Africa had one doctor for over 2,000 prisoners. Some prisons don't even have running water. So it's extremely challenging for them to be able to implement the same measures that we're being told to implement. Well, in the face of all of that, uh, we wondered what she can see, because she's really been monitoring the system uh, for quite a long time. What are all the different prison authorities doing? It's been fascinating how we've seen across the world in a space of a few weeks, over 200,000 prisoners being released. And so this has been unprecedented. And we've seen, you know, countries from Bangladesh releasing about 3,000 detainees to Ethiopia releasing 5,000 So really big numbers. And prison uh, reform experts have been stating for years, including myself, that there's been a crisis in prison for years. This isn't something new, but coronavirus has just really exacerbated it. And if we can see such an unprecedented release of detainees, it begs the question, did these people need to be in detention anyway? You know, about 3 million people worldwide are held in pretrial detention. In some countries like Brazil, a third of the population are held in pretrial detention. And 50% of prisoners worldwide are in prison for non-violent offences. The large majority of these are for drug offences, which are mostly drug use. So I think coronavirus is really you know, asking us to think about the way we use incarceration, the way we use imprisonment. And for many years, you know, countries have been called on by the UN and other kind of regional bodies to put in place alternatives to imprisonment. You know, it's actually the 30th anniversary of the UN Tokyo rules this year, which you know, provides for and puts many measures in place for non-custodial measures, but countries just haven't used them. But coronavirus has meant that this issue is even more urgent. So in a way, I feel it's a hopeful situation in that post-COVID, it can really make us rethink how we use imprisonment and whether we can invest a lot more in alternatives to imprisonment as well. Uh, Yes, Sabrina there talks about alternatives to prison, uh, but a problem I think with international uh, courts is going to be uh, that it's hard to find an alternative for prison for international courts, kind of monitoring and staying at home. Those courts are never in the home country. So we also wondered a bit about the different standards in in, in, uh, at national jurisdictions about prisoners and how international prisoners are treated, mostly because we spoke in previous episode to Barbara Hola, who talked about interviewing ICTY prisoners in Norway and in other places. So let's see what Sabrina had to say about that. 
you know, the UN has these standard minimum rules for the treatment of prisoners, which were enacted around 50 years ago. But the way that a prisoner experiences prisons really depends on the country they're in, as you said. So in the West, for example, you know, prison, there's lots of activities, there's support, like mental health treatment, for vocational training. And, you know, the imprisonment is that it should be about rehabilitation and reformation, not about punishment. Whereas in many other prisons, particularly the ones that I've worked in uh, in Africa, uh, prisoners don't even get to have those kinds of you know uh, services they're still struggling to have you know basic rights such as the right to food or the right to to health care and there's a really worrying report that came out recently in the lancet which you know said that in the first two months of this year at least 60 prisoners died of hunger in kinshasa's central prison and the prison there is estimated at 432 percent capacity and so i think this again is just a really strong argument for why we really need to make sure that people who don't need to be in prison there, otherwise, you know, community-based sort of sentence are much more useful for prisoners and society themselves. Actually, we asked Sabrina lots. We asked her about women in prison. We asked her about general prison reform. But um, unfortunately, the Zoom didn't work perfectly. Um, so thanks, Sabrina. We really enjoyed chatting to you. And maybe we'll have another chance to chat to you again in the future. But in the meantime, Steph, what, what's your view? Do you think that we're going to come back to full on trials mode fairly soon? Are you seeing those indications from the courts and tribunals you're monitoring? I'm kind of seeing the opposite. In the beginning, they scheduled a lot of hearings, like we can do this remotely, we'll see, and maybe the restrictions will be lifted by the time we have them. But now, one by one, you see that things are being postponed, stayed until a later date. The Mladic appeals hearing, which was set in June, has been stayed to a later date. Gbagbo himself had his uh, appeals hearing stayed to a later date. So I think they were in the beginning very positive that they were going to do this all with video conferencing and then realized that it's actually a bit more complicated than that. So we're going to see, I think the only case that's really going to go forward is the MH17 case in Dutch court. And we're going to see how that goes. And I think maybe also the other international tribunals are going to watch that and see what they can pick up from that and if they can, if they can continue. So I don't really see anything happening until at least August. Well, thanks very much and uh, speak to you again soon. Thank you. Bye. Asymmetrical Haircuts is presented by Janet Anderson and Stephanie van der Berg. This episode has obviously been recorded at home, but we'd still like to give a shout out to our regular host, Humanity Hub, and we hope to return there soon. Music was by audionautics.com. We're available on all major podcast apps. Give us a rating and spread the word.